Well, I'm so excited to be here with you all today as we're continuing this series called For the Win. For those of you at our North San Jose campus, at South San Jose, what's up everybody? And over at our Sunnyvale campus, I love you guys. I'm really glad to be here with you guys. And I want to wish you all a happy new year because I don't get to make it up here very often. So I got to make sure I think we can do that until the end of January. And uh, so today we're continuing this series. and We're talking about four key habits that we can build to win at life. Now every year, right, this time of the year, everybody has New Year's resolutions. Anybody here, show of hands at all three of our campuses, who year has made a New Year's resolution ever? Raise your hand. All right, now keep your hand up if you have ever kept your New Year's resolution. Yeah, my hand goes down right there. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> there's actually, there's a study that says there's 45% of Americans every year make a New Year's resolution. And usually the resolution have to do with either losing weight, uh, being more fit and healthy, or it's about managing our finances better, or it could be a resolution about getting more organized. But we've all heard the joke, right? At the beginning of the year, everybody flocks to the gym to sign up for a new membership. And what happens at the end of the month? Everybody drops out. And that tends to happen with a lot of our resolution. And the stats say that after the month of January, a third of people already quit on their New Year's resolution. Then fast forward to the month of June, half of the people have already quit on their resolutions. And then you go to the end of the year and only 8% of people really achieve their New Year's resolution. Now why is that? Why is it that every single year we set these goals for ourselves and then we get to a place where we don't fulfill them? I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think sometimes we just make these lofty goals, right? We say, I'm going to start going to the gym five times a week when I've gone five times in the last year, and we're not reasonable with our expectations of ourselves. But I think a lot of times the reasons why we don't meet those resolutions is because we go at them all on our own. We don't have anybody who can run alongside us. We don't have anybody who can encourage us when we're struggling, anybody who can keep us accountable and correct us when we need it. And the truth is, we can't win at life on our own. We can be successful in a lot of ways. We can have a great time. We can build great lifestyle. But we can't win all alone. And we all know that. I mean, even Steph Curry, right, with all his three-pointers, he can't win a game if he was all on his own. And at the end of our life, uh, at the end of everything, of all we've accumulated, the homes, the cars, the phones, and all that, what's really going to matter is the relationships. The things that really last forever are the relationships, the relationships we build with one another and the relationships that we built with God. Now, it's interesting to me that we're in a world today that's more and more connected, right? With technology and social media, we're getting to communicate with people all around the world. And yet, as connected as we are, people feel more and more alone. You can have a family, you can have kids, you can have coworkers, you can have 3,000 friends on Facebook and yet still feel alone. Anybody can make friends on Facebook, but very few people actually take the time to get to know the people who are sitting right next to them. Instead of talking with our neighbors on the porch and hanging out and getting to know them, we just drive on through into our garage and let the door shut behind us. Instead of sharing a meal with the people that we care about and developing those relationships, we take a picture of our meal and then we share it with the rest of the world. <laughs> the irony behind that. 
And even though we have a craving and a desire for belonging and to be a part of something greater, sometimes we kind of resist it a little bit. Now, I know a lot about what that feels to be lonely and to resist that change in a sense. I grew up in a place where everybody around me was family. We were all related somehow. I grew up in this place where my neighbor was one of my best friends, and uh, we, uh, he was my cousin. We were related. We played together every single day. I never had to learn how to make new friends because friends were just around me, and we grew up together. The church that we went to literally was everybody was family. It was about 100 people, and we were all somewhat related. And if you weren't related to us yet, we would make sure that you would be pretty soon. And so this was a part of my life for the first 14 years of my life in this small community. And then my parents made the decision to move over here to the Bay Area. Now I was 14 years old and that was a difficult choice for me to accept. But we moved here. And I, mo I moved from a place where I knew everybody to a place where I didn't know anyone. And even though there was a lot of really positive things going on for me, I had, uh, I had straight A's in school. My, my, my school was a really nice campus. I got a job for the very first time, and I got my own money. And I was there with my immediate family, but yet there was still a gap in my life. I had this desire for friendship and for real intentional community, but at the same time, there was a side of me that resisted it a little bit, that was afraid. There's a fear of being transparent with people around us. There is a fear of being neglected and rejected and to be ignored by people. And I think in the Bay Area here, I think people know what that's like probably more than a lot of other areas. Because people move here for the Bay Area, to the Bay Area because of jobs and because of school and all these things. And there's a sense where everybody here is away from home. And everybody is longing for a sense of family. Everybody is searching for something to reconnect with. And so what does it take for us to overcome these feelings of loneliness? What can we do to build intentional relationships and friendships? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about four habits, and today the habit we're going to be uncovering is building life-giving community. And I want us to uncover three keys together to building life-giving community. Now, we're going to be taking a look at the story of the early church in the book of Acts in chapter 2. Now, the book of Acts is a historical account that was written by Luke, who was a historian and a doctor, and he wrote a historical account of the life of Jesus and then another one of the early church called the book of Acts. Now, the reason why I think it's really important for us to look at this story is because what started off as a small group of really passionate people turned into a worldwide movement that changed the world and that even shapes and changes the lives of people still today. No group or organization before the church and before Jesus ever sought to bring together people from every race, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic background, every age, all together in one place. Now to give you a little bit of context behind what's happening right now in the context of the early church, for the first 300 years for the church, it was actually illegal to be a Christian. Now the church started under the Roman Empire, and the reason why it was illegal is because the Christians believed that Jesus was their king and their God. And they would deny the emperor being a god himself. And because of that, Christians were persecuted, they were killed for what they believed, they were charged with all kinds of random crimes, their possessions were taken away from them. 
And yet in the midst of all the craziness and all the persecution, the pressures and the weights that were put upon them, we see a movement that's expanding, that's growing because of the community and the message that it's built on. Now let's take a look together at Acts chapter 2, and it's going to be on your screens or you can pull it up on your app, on the Bible app. In Acts 2, verse 42 through 47, it says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Now, for the early church, they understood that for them to meet together wasn't just something that they did as a weekly routine, but it was a necessity, right? In light of all the pressures and the persecution that they were going through, they needed to stand and to be together in order to overcome this. Now, we live in a very different world today. I'm sure none of us are afraid that if we don't worship the president, we're going to end up in jail. That could change depending on who becomes the president next. We'll see how that goes. But I think often because of comfort, and we have kind of this addiction to comfort because of technology, it's becoming easier and easier to minimize our need for other people. And as a result, we we change life-giving relationships to for quick shortcuts. We would rather spend our days hanging out in our PJs than spending face-to-face time with our family. We spend our evenings in bed on our phones rather than looking at our spouse and investing in our marriages. And we come to church, we sing a few songs, we listen to a message, but we never take the time to get to know the people who are sitting right next to us. We've shortchanged ourselves and we've become way too easily satisfied. We've chosen the quick shortcuts over the long-term fulfillment. The cheap Smarties candy over the delicious 60% Ghirardelli dark chocolate. Some of you might know what I'm talking about from a few weeks ago. But the true meaning of us gathering together as a church is not for us to just check a box. It's not for us to be entertained or to hear a couple good songs or to have our kids taken care of just for an hour. The real meaning of why we meet together as a church is because Jesus is alive. Because God made a way for us to be freed from our own brokenness. Now that's the message that this early church was centered around. The passage in verse 42 says that they were devoted to this message. They were brought together by a message of hope, a message that was selfless, a message of self-sacrifice, and care for one another, not from what we can do, but because of what God has done for us through Jesus. And so if you're taking notes today, as we're uncovering three keys to building life-giving community, the first point is this, is to have gospel-centered relationships. Gospel-centered relationships. Now, I know I might have lost some of you right now just as I said those words, because I know it's a really Christian-y term to say right off the bat. And I know here at South Bay Church, we have people that come from all backgrounds, all faiths, and I know we have people watching us online. And so let me explain what I mean by that, by gospel-centered relationships. 
Now, when we look at traditional religion, traditional religion tells us that I go to God with my clean record, with my good record of what I've done, and I say, here you go, and in return, he blesses me for what I've done. I show him the good that I've done, and he blesses me in return. But the gospel message says something completely different. The gospel message says God himself gives us a clean record as a free gift, and there's nothing that we can do to deserve it. That he's the one who extends it forth to us. And all that he asks of us is a confession of our need for him and of our own brokenness and our own shame and that we need to be dependent on him. And in return, he gives us this free gift of acceptance and relationship with him. Now, put away faith, religion aside. Think about what that means in the context of the relationships of the people that you have around you. If you live out of the mindset that God blesses you because of the things that you do, then that can lead to pride because it's about what I've done. I deserve this. I, I worked my way towards this, and it's what I did. When you believe that, it leads to entitlement because I worked my way to this, and I deserve to have blessings. And then when we don't get what we feel we deserve, then it leads to resentment and bitterness. Now let's look at it on the flip side in the message of what the gospel teaches. Think about this in the context of your relationships. There's nothing that I can do, but it's a free gift from God that he's extending over to me, and there's nothing that I can do to earn it. Now I can lead my life out of humility because I know that's not what I've done, but it's about what he's done for me. I can live a life out of gratitude and be thankful for what he has done in my life. And in response to that, I can be generous because I am so grateful and I want others to experience what he has done in my life. How different would our relationships be if they were defined by these terms? Uh, The author John Orberg in his book, Soul Keeping, he talks about how every single part of the human experience is limited. We're limited physically, we're limited intellectually, we're limited emotionally, but there's one part of the human experience that's completely unlimited, and that's our ability to desire for more. Our ability to desire is unlimited. And we've seen that. We've seen the celebrities and the sports star that accumulate, accumulate, and accumulate, and it never seems like it's enough. You can have more cars, a new iPhone, a better house, a newer iPhone, and yet it's still is not enough. And if our desire is something that's infinite, that's unlimited, the only thing that can truly fulfill our desires and the only person who's unlimited is God himself. He says this in his book, John Orberg, the unlimited neediness of the soul matches the unlimited grace of God. The soul's infinite capacity to desire is the mirror image of God's infinite capacity to give. I'm going to say that last part again. The soul's infinite capacity to desire is the mirror of God's infinite capacity to give. That's the message of the gospel for us. That it's not about what I've done, but it's God's grace that is never-ending, that he keeps on pouring over and over again in my life. It's a message of love, 
of hope for the world, a message that shows self-sacrifice, that puts the other before ourselves. And that sets the tone for what we see the church do next. This message of the gospel, this good news of what God has done for us. In verse 44, here's the church's response to say, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, here we see the church's response to the message of the gospel. Their response to God's extravagant love, his extravagant grace on them, was for them to have extravagant love and generosity for the people around them. They were willing to give up every single thing that they owned for the sake of their community. It didn't matter what it was, they were willing to give it up for the bettering of the people around them. Now, I'm not saying that you should go ahead and sell your house right now. But if you're the guy who won the lottery this week, yes, you should go ahead and sell your house and spread the wealth a little bit. That'd be really kind. Thank you. But in all seriousness, in light of all we have, we're a very wealthy nation. And in light of all we have in our time, our resources, our finances, our talents, what are we doing to leverage those things to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. See, the church modeled something for us that I think is key for building life-giving community. And that's the second key. The second point is selfless generosity. Selfless generosity. There's something about when we're around people who are selfless and who are generous that's very magnetic, isn't there? I, I feel like when I'm around something, uh, around somebody who's generous, there's something about me that wants to be around them more because I feel cared for by them. That if I were to, to be in a great time of need, I would know that I could count on them and they would be there for me. And so much of our lives has been built around accumulating. We try and get new things all the time and accumulate. But in the grand scheme of all of life, in the next 50 years, when you think about it, everything that we accumulate within 50 to 100 years is going to end up in a dumpster. The only things that really last forever are the relationships. The relationships with the people around us and our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul talks about what it means for us to be in community. He is this guy who went around all of Asia and, and all around the Mediterranean. He planted and started new churches all over the place. And he wrote letters to each of these churches to tell them what it meant for them to be a church. Now, I want us to look at one of those letters he writes to a church in Galatia. And he writes this in his book in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptations yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. Now, right from the start, the Apostle Paul acknowledges that there's going to be times in life when some of us are going to go through things that are more than we can handle, and we're going to fall to our knees, that we're going to be struggling either because of our own weaknesses or because of the mess of the world that we live in, but there's going to be times when we're going to be going through more than we can handle, either a, a struggle of an addiction that we can't seem to kick, or the numbers can never seem to line up with our finances or the pressures of the relationships around us are just pushing us down. 
And we have things that are weighing us down, much like we have this weight right here. And there's so many things that come to us at life that bring weight into our lives. You have the weight of work and of career. Then you can have the weight of relationships and family and the pressures that come with that. You have the weight of your finances. Paying rent here in the Bay Area is getting increasingly crazy and budgeting around that and the life and the pressure for providing for our families. And then there's the, light, the weight of expectations that other people have of us and how it feels like we can never meet everybody's expectations, but yet it's a weight that we carry on our shoulders. There's the weight of acceptance and how we want the people around us to like us, to see us in a certain way. And then there's the weight of grief. There's the weight of pain that we feel, the loss of loved ones, the physical pain that we go through in the day to day. Now there's no question about it, this is more weight than I can carry on my own. As you can tell, I haven't been working out, <laughs> haven't been going to the gym. And this is more than I can bear, but God didn't design for me to bear this weight on my own. Even as we look early on in the beginning of creation in the world, we see God creates the whole universe. He creates man and the whole world. And he sees that it's good. But you do you know what's the first thing that God says in his word that's not good? He says it's not good for man to be alone. Now, that's pretty remarkable to me that he would say that. Because when you think about it, here's perfect creation. There's no pain in the world. There's no brokenness. Everything is in order. And God and man are in perfect relationship with one another. There's no betrayal. There's no lying. There's none of that. And yet God says it's not good for man to be alone. See, that tells us that in God's original plan, it's designed for us from the very beginning, is for us to have a relationship with one another. He said, we should never have to carry this way on our own. This is not something that we were meant to do alone. Now, I'm actually going to ask two guys that I've been in life groups with, Justin and Ethan, they're going to come up on stage with me to help me out a little bit right here with this way. If you can give them a hand. I didn't pick the strongest guy, but I picked the best-looking guys in the room. That works. You see, I, I can't carry this weight on my own. But when I've been intentional about getting connected in community, when I've taken the time to build trust, and I invested in myself to build those relationships, then I can have people who can help carry me this weight. We did it. Good job, guys. <laughs> Thanks. There's a fine line between making a point and embarrassing yourself, and I think we were right, right there on that line. But thanks, guys. But as we look back at the story of the early church in Acts chapter 2, not only did they share in everything that they had, but here's what we see in verse 46. It said, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met at homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and, and generosity. 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Now, if you think going to church once a week is tough, try every single day. Now, I'm pretty sure our staff would like die if that was the case. But see, the church here understood that it took more than just getting together in a large group to worship, but it took intentional face-to-face relationships. They would gather together in homes, they shared meals, they built community, they celebrate together, and they built intentional relationship. And a third point for us to build life-giving community is a commitment to consistency. A commitment to consistency. Now, each day they would meet in the temple to worship. This was a place, a physical place, where they would come together in a large group and they would hear the scriptures and they would get together and worship and sing hymns to God. But they didn't just leave it at that. See, the church is not just, a, it's not a location, it's not a set of traditions, but it's people gathering together around the message of the love and hope of Jesus through his life, his death, and his resurrection. They understood something that's key, I think, for us to understand when it comes to building life-giving relationships is that life change happens in circles, not in rows. Life change happens in circles, not in rows. We can come to a church service here every single week, week after week, and become overly informed and underly convicted. And when we come to church just to be informed, we miss out. We miss out on this opportunity of, of what God wants to do through us for us to be transformed. And for us to experience life change, it, it requires for us to spend time in face-to-face relationships. Life wasn't ever meant to be done alone. And in the context of a church, nobody should ever have to. Now, at South Bay Church, you might have heard us talk a lot about this idea of connecting in the life group and joining in one of our volunteer teams. And it's because that we believe that there's nothing that will help you more than being in the context of community, for you to grow in your relationship with God, for you to connect in life-giving relationships, and for you to find the, the real gifts and the passion that God has placed in you and how he wants to use you to serve and make a difference in your world. There's no other context that will more shape your life than in the context of life-giving community. Now back to my story, growing up and becoming, moving over all the way here, my high school experience was a pretty lonely one. I had a difficult time. I, I never really learned how to make friends, and so those four years were a little bit awkward. Fast forward to college, my freshman year. I felt like God had done a work in my heart, and I was committed. I was on a mission, and I said, I am not repeating my high school experience. And so I went to San Jose State University, Spartans. I hope there's a few of you guys in the room. All right. San Jose State University, first week of school. All the clubs are out there handing out their flyers, inviting you to parties and to hang out. And so I made it my mission that I was going to connect in community that week. So I went to so many clubs and got to meet the people there and ask what they were about. But really, I was looking for a place that would help me to build life-giving relationships, a place where uh, we had people with similar values than I did, a place where I could grow in my relationship with God, 
and, and a place where I could really make a difference on my campus. I, was, I didn't want to just attend school. I really wanted to make a difference. And you know what? That decision I made that week to connect in community on that campus, it changed the rest of my life forever. It shaped the course of my life from now on. I still remember it so clearly. I found a community at that point that just accepted me just the way that I am. And that's very relevant because I was the only white guy out of a sea of Asians. <laughs> and they took me in as one of their own. And I made lifelong friends through that. I even met my wife through that. And yes, my wife is Asian, and all my groomsmen were Asian as well. But most importantly, God used that time to shape me. He used that time to reveal things in me that I didn't even know about myself. He used that time to really show me the passions and the gifts that he had placed in me and the calling that he had put on my life for ministry. And I can't even imagine what life would have been like today if I hadn't made that decision that week to connect in life-giving community. I would have missed out completely on the abundance of what God wanted to do in my life. And so I want to challenge you today not to, make a, a, to set a new goal for the year or to make a New Year's resolution. I want to challenge you to make a commitment to make intentional community a part of your regular life. Now, it just so happens that this week we're kicking off the sign-ups for life groups, and we talked a little bit about it earlier. But each of you in your programs, you should have received their green card. That's a tool for you to use to join a group. Even if you don't know where to start, this is a great first step. And we as a church are committed to helping you find life-giving community because we believe there's nothing else that has the power to make that kind of difference in your life. We have some of the most amazing leaders here at South Bay Church. Yeah, that's right. And we got some people who are here who are committed to helping you connect, to build real friendships, to grow in your relationship with God, and to make a difference, not just here, but in the community, to be the church, to serve the people who are around us. And we have life groups here for everybody. We have groups for everyone and any resolution. If you've made a resolution to get fit this year, man, we've got all kinds of groups for you to join. We've got running groups. We've got Spartan race groups. We've got a self-defense life group. You're looking at managing your finances better this year. We have three financial peace workshops that are going to be launching this spring that will help you bring you financial freedom. We have so many people every semester who come out of it with a new life and a new sense around how they can manage their money better. You're looking at improving your relationship. We have incredible leaders leading marriage groups that you can join. And you know what? Building community is not something that is always easy, and it's not something that happens quick, but it's worth every single moment. But think about it. The difference that it would make if we led our lives in such a way that we weren't trying to run after these lofty goals on our own, but we had a community of people around us going in that same direction to encourage one another, to keep each other accountable, and to point us towards the goal and towards what God wants to do in us. How much more powerful is it for us to lead our lives in such a way rather than just on our own, to try and carry all this weight alone when it's so much more for us to bear? What would it look like for us to be that kind of church? 
to model what the early church did. That the gospel, this message of grace, of what God did for us, would be at the center of our relationships. That we would lead our lives out of humility, out of gratitude, out of generosity for the people around us. Not of our own efforts, but of what God has done for us. Not only that, that we would be selfless in our generosity, that we would leverage everything we have, our resources, our time, our energy, not just for our sake, but for the sake of people around us. In response to God's extravagant love for us, we want to be extravagant in our generosity for the community. And that we would be committed to consistency. That we're not just checking a box, but that we're committed for a life-transforming process that we would establish depth and relationships as we build trust over time, that we would celebrate with one another in times of celebration, but that we would also weep with one another in times of grief. That's the church that we want to be. And I hope that you'll join us this semester and this spring in making life-giving community and life groups a part of your regular life. And I believe that you'll see God do more in and through you in that context than in any other you could do on your own. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of this life. Thank you because even from the beginning of your design, you created us to be in relationship with one another. That we were not meant to bear this weight on our own, but you are the one who intentionally placed it in us to build relationships with one another. So God, we pray that you would help us, God, to be consistent in our pursuit of this, that we wouldn't try to do life on our own, but God, we would realize that it is by your grace that we are here, not of our own doing, but out of the gift that you've extended before us. So God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have today to connect, to be a part of community, even through life groups and through teams here. And God, we pray that you would do something in our hearts this year, God, that is beyond anything that you've ever done through community and through groups that will help us bring us closer to you, closer to one another, and make a difference in our world. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.